Welcome to episode 35 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. We have made the decision to come to you after a three-game sweep at home at the hands of the Los Angeles Angels. Stone, I'm going to be honest with you. This is the type of game that I kind of dread doing this after. Uh, I like doing the show in a general sense. Uh, I think there's still valid things to say, even during dark times. But I get tired sometimes of the notion that's like, we have to come on here and say things aren't as bad as they seem. And let's be reasonable about all this and all that jazz. And we do that a fair amount. Uh, but today feels like a, a shitty day to do that, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, that was terrible. The whole weekend was terrible. And, um, yeah, I don't think anybody uh, should be criticized for being like, well, that, you know, for recognizing that, for being concerned about where the team, you know, uh, what the team is doing and where it's going. And uh, and all of the, the this isn't as bad as it seems stuff applies. But, uh, but yeah, it was ugly. You don't off – and it, it was ugly to a, a different degree, I think, than a lot of the, t- the, the tough ones that we've seen from the – you know, you don't have Buck – Martinez in the broadcast booth basically questioning the team's effort level all you know uh when this happens normally uh, which it does in the course of the sport of baseball you know bad games happen obviously it's a, it's a small part of the schedule this three game sweep but that wasn't great and obviously like we came in out of last week uh vibes were great you know they go to Yankee Stadium they go to Fenway Park they go six and one win some extra inning games look like they really you know even if the offense wasn't necessarily clicking at all you know all times and they needed to get to extra innings to win a couple of those um you know the the vibes were good and you looked at the schedule and and we talked about it on the last episode you know where this this looks like a, a, a prime opportunity for the blue jays to really uh to really come out and like cement themselves as the playoff team that i think they're still obviously going to be i mean people still you know it, the object permanence is a is a thing i don't want to like scold people too badly because obviously it's it was it's not fun to sit and watch you know 12 hours worth of that baseball but yeah like the teoscar thing is not a thing that that uh, that often happens uh where it's like like the the team broadcaster out there literally criticizing not just buck but like joe siddle and jamie campbell talked about you know why is he in the game if he can't slide and i think they cut you know dan and, and buck kind of talked about oh maybe he, he thought the throw wasn't going to first base but then the effort level is there and the you know this is sort of all across the board. There's been some sloppy play. There's been talks. They mentioned conversations about fundamentals. That's not where you really want to be heading into September in a playoff spot with the schedule as soft as it is ahead of them right now, because it's going to get a lot harder uh, and they're going to have to sort of sort some things out. Yeah. I mean that, that Tay Oscar thing, uh, you know, that does not decide the game. Like they probably lose this game, even if that out is not made, but we know he's fast. We don't know if it's the effort level or if it's the, I mean, I don't know. Again, you can kind of infer, like it, it didn't seem like he really took off from first on that play. Uh, it was it because he was unable to, he's also had some, you know, some effort level issues defensively, to be honest, in recent yep. weeks, it seems he's been in a, just an all out funk. And that's unfortunate because he's a very important player on this team i think he's it's actually kind of underrated at times how important he can be to this team and he's been an engine for the offense for a lot of you know june and july and it just has not been good over the last couple of weeks for him overall and then the foot injury compounds on that and you don't exactly know where things stand with him like that is sort of the individual play that stands out there's also the vladdy just not catching the ball and again like yeah. you can you can see that happen in any game you don't want to totally overreact to that he had a brutal game overall you know mm-hmm. like his at bats were tough 
uh, you know, he was getting he was getting some fielders' choices, and that was like the highlight. Um, so that's not where you want to be with a sort of an MVP caliber guy. Uh, we can get into like the whole big picture thing. One thing that stood out to me is just you know the idea that switching managers, like going from Montoyo to Schneider, was going to you know resonate with the players and prevent these type of things from happening. And it's again, it's not fair to say that a manager has control such that it's totally avoidable. Um, but when you talk about, you know, I, I don't know, a general malaise and effort level issue, a lack of urgency, all of those cliches that you can argue to what degree they apply, the, you know, the kick in the pants is supposed to come from that move. And, it, you know, they're doing the same kind of stuff they were doing when Montoya was around. I think that's worth noting. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, uh, th- it is kind of what this team is. And, of course, I don't mean the last three games are what this team is, though I definitely get a sense that people are like, when they win, oh, they're, 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 what they, what those wins were fraudulent and they're actually this horrible team that has just been pulling the wool over our eyes all year. Like, that's, I, 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 you know, nobody's actually saying that, but that's kind of a tone I get out of some, uh, some of the Twitter sniping, which, again, not scolding. It's, it's bad. Snipe away. Uh, but yeah, that's just, this is kind of what they are, I think. And, and, you know, that's something that's going to have to be thought about. Uh, and it doesn't mean that they can't get hot at the right time, but maybe this, just this, this whole group is, uh, this is a thing that they're, they're going to have to think about in the off season. I mean, like Teoscar, you take the good with the bad with him, you know, and it's been, it's been a thing. I think it's been better and better every year. Like the defense has definitely gotten, it got better. Uh, those sort of lapses, but it's like, you know, effort level is a thing that, the, that is the easiest thing to not ever have slump. Uh, and so that that stuff is is sort of frustrating, especially when it comes at times like this when they're kind of like, okay, now we're really, we're trying now, we're really trying now, which is just, uh, you know, uh, the, the the cry, the battle cry of the team that is, uh, that, that's not winning. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, you know, it's a, it was a tough. It was a tough series. It was. They should have done better. I don't know what uh, what else to say about that. Really, like it is. Uh, uh, yeah, I. You know, and then the, the, the you, I saw you tweet about it. If you like the white flag that was having Kikuchi come in with the bases loaded. Like I know that you're in a tough spot at that point. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I I like what that says either. Uh, to bring him in with the base, even though he got the job done. Uh, and obviously, you know, there's obvious reasons for not blowing more relievers and stuff, but like, not a lot of confidence there that you're going to have the the comeback necessary in you. And and we've seen this team do stuff like that, maybe not this year, but last year, and the, the, it's not impossible. Uh, and that really, uh, I, I I question that a little bit, I guess, but also completely understand it as well. Yeah, that particular move is interesting because there's a there's an 100 percent a logical reason for doing that. You don't want to burn further pitchers who are going to be useful. You know, Kikuchi's a guy to use when you don't want to use other guys, and you know you don't want to bring in Whit Merrifield in his 60 mile an hour fastball uh, in that big spot. So he he does logically seem like the man for the job, but in the context of how tough this series has felt. Um, it did feel like a bit of a weird move from a, I don't know, a statement of intent point of view. Again, it's so hard to know how much that kind of stuff matters. And we don't know, you know, just kind of push Phelps to the end, how, you know, what are his restrictions? Like there's always things that we don't exactly know, um, about those type of situations. So I'm not brutally critical of that, but it, it did strike an odd chord, which is sort of, you know, you're trying to avoid those type of things at this point. 
Um, in terms of a positive from today, really, you know, it's kind of Ross Stripling, another pretty solid out from him. him. Uh, only, you know, it's just the two home runs against, you know, not great home run hitters. You don't like to see that, obviously. Three straight outings with six-plus strikeouts, that's pretty unusual for a guy like him. I don't think that's going to be some trend where he becomes a huge, you know, strikeout guy, but it's still a good sign. In terms of some quasi-positive things, I kind of wanted to turn things over to you a little bit to talk about Saturday's game and the stuff surrounding the 1992 World Series. Uh, in part, I wasn't able to catch all of that, and in part, you're better qualified to tell me if that kind of met your expectations. So I just wanted to sort of turn the floor over to you <laughs> to talk about how that, uh, you know, how that felt and how you felt that was handled by the yeah, team. You mean, you mean I'm old? Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah, putting it delicately. <laughs> no, I get it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wish it didn't happen in the middle of like the worst series of the year. Uh, and we did get the, the, the pitching duel that was, uh, that was promised with Otani and Manoa afterwards, which was, which was a fun day for a while until it was like, oh, wow. How many innings has it been since they scored a run that wasn't gifted to them with like a, uh, a runner on second base and extra innings in Boston? Uh, but no, I thought the ceremony was great. I thought, uh, you know the Winfield wants noise stuff. I talked about that. I thought that I thought that that was really a special thing. The you could tell, you know, Joe Carter loving it. Uh, I brought back a ton of memories, and and I, you know, I tweeted about like, oh, being eleven is a great a great time to have your team win the World Series. And then several people were like, oh, well, I was like twenty four. It was great too. And uh, yeah, you can drink when you're twenty, and you can <laughs> you can recognize like how special it is, which I don't think you do as a kid. You don't you don't you don't think you don't think thirty years without another World Series is about to happen. I guess they had one the next year, but you know what I mean. Um, and yeah, I mean, I thought they did that really well. I think they've been they've stepped up their uh, their their ceremony game uh, in the Shapiro era a little bit, which is I mean part of the you know that's the trend I think all over sports, and and, and it's part of the entertainment product. Obviously, you know. Uh, giving away those jackets, it was a huge crowd. Uh, it, it just it seemed like a really nice moment, and 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 you know it's uh, thirty years is a long time. Like it's you don't get a chance to do this very often, and and I think that the I, I don't know it, it met my expectations absolutely. Uh, it was cool to see you know the messages from some of those you know from David Cohn and from some of those guys like like I was saying before like some of the guys who you don't see on the on the Blue Jays alumni circuit as often. Uh, you know, uh, the video board message, aka the we didn't get vaxxed to come into Canada messages. Though I don't know that that's, we know that's not, <laughs> that's Cali, a, I don't know that that's Cohen Could be unfair, he's, but he's probably broadcasting a game somewhere. But, um, but yeah, I thought, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a, a really nice ceremony. I thought it was great to see the, uh, you know, there's still that link, right, between that, t- you know, like, I, when I would see, you know, Rico Cardi or what they like get guys who were just like a little before my time, maybe a lot before my time would to, to be kind, uh, you know, there's just a bit of a disconnect and I don't know where, you know, the world series makes it such a bigger thing. You know, obviously everybody knows the stories of the world series teams in, in a different way than, you know, you're like people remember the 78 blue Jays, but, uh, but that, that sort of phrase over time, just as you know, the people literally like die off and, and the, the memory gets farther, farther in the past. And so this, I think was a, it, it's a good milestone and it's a, like 30 years is something where, you know, a lot of people are still around who were kids who are my age, who, you know, that, that means something. And it, it, you know, if you did it after 40 years, uh, it's just, it's watered down, I think a little bit. I think this was a good time to remind people and to have Dave Steve in the broadcast booth, which was so wild from, you know, just from growing up and re- remembering. And clearly you could tell from, you know, Dan and Buck talking about it, like his reputation was, was earned with the, you know, being a bit ornery with the media and having him in the booth. 
Uh, I wish they talk, they didn't talk on air about the, uh, uh, or not with Dave, but about the, the, um, the documentary, the YouTube documentary, the secret base uh, one that was so good and that everybody and that we know Dave watched and uh, was commenting on, on Twitter and daughter was, uh, I thought that was really cool. Dan mentioned it afterwards and, and Steve got asked about it and, uh, get the man in the hall of fame. Right. And, um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It was just nice to see all those faces. And, and like I say, it connects to me because that's because of the age that I'm at where in a way that, yeah, I'm sure it doesn't for a lot of people who are younger, which, uh, there's a lot of people nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> there's always more and more people who are younger it's than you every ridiculous. day. I'm sick of it. They're really piling up. Um, I mean that for both of us, I'm not trying to pile on you individually. <laughs> I mean, two things from that. One, it, it was great to see Steve acknowledge that documentary. And it's interesting. It just must be a weird thing for him to see happen. You know what I mean? Like, I think he maybe in his career understood that he was perhaps uh, misevaluated and underrated and not appreciated enough. But to see someone lay that whole case out for you, someone you presumably don't even know in a format that probably isn't your primary entertainment. I don't know. Maybe Steve is just crushing YouTube videos. Um, <laughs> I don't know what his personal life is like, but just sort of generation generationally, I'd assume that that's not really his sort of first port of call for entertainment would be uh, watching secret base YouTube things. So it must've been kind of surreal for him to see this uh, group of people put together a mass, like frankly, a pretty massive undertaking about his career and about the notion that he was better than people uh, appreciate and that he deserved more credit. And I can only imagine that would be unbelievably rewarding if, yeah, after you retired from your job, someone that you never heard of just put a ton of work into explaining why you're the greatest. Like, I'd love to see someone do that about my work. Um, I, I think it's pretty unlikely, to be honest, but I'm not ruling anything out. The second part for me, and this is kind of, you, you talked about your perspective on it. This is my perspective on it, is that when I was growing up and sort of first starting to watch the Blue Jays and get really into the Blue Jays when I was a kid, the first team that I watched, and sometimes I talk about this team, is the 2000 Blue Jays. And they were uh, they were they were a really exciting offensive team. They had a bunch of guys who hit 20 home runs and a lot of fun players. And they were quite good, but it was just the AL East. They weren't good enough, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I always used to feel like, man, we keep harping on the 92-93 thing. Like, we keep hearing about these guys and I was kind of sick of it in the early 2000s and growing up as a kid because I'm like man we haven't made the playoffs in forever and when are we going to stop you know harping on the past and just focusing on that all the time like I thought I went to a ton of games and there was just all this stuff out alumni and those world series teams and I was like man we could need the team to actually have some success and I think having 2015 and 2016 happen and I know those you know those runs didn't go as far as they potentially could have uh, and even, you know, 2020 making those weird playoffs and stuff, just having some success in the more modern era and having a good team now, I think makes gives it a different feeling than it used to. It used to feel like, man, you know, we got nothing going on now. So the best we can do is just keep living in the past. And now because there is some, you know, modern era success, it feels less. I mean, you know, 30th anniversary is always a, is a big number, nice round number. But I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense to you. But that was that's my kind of like vibe with the ninety two ninety three thing is that it feels a little bit sweeter in the context of this isn't the only thing we've ever had. Yo, I think that makes complete sense. And I, I think that at the time, you know, when they were doing Flashback Fridays and there was that, like the players really started to resent it, and that became a thing. And I think that's why you kind of saw that stop is because 
you know, there was, I mean, that was, that was the big selling point. The team wasn't trying to sell the team on the field because they weren't funding them enough to compete with the Red Sox and the Yankees. Uh, and, you know, that's, that, that was, you know, how they got people into the building. Uh, and the, the guy, you know, the, the Troy Gloss and Scott Rowland eras, and, uh, you know, they had some pretty good teams too. And, and, and I think did sort of resent that in the way that I guess fans did as well. Uh, you know, it always, uh, you know, it was cynical. I definitely, you know, I have no, I have no problem like celebrating that stuff, obviously. But like I said, that's why, that's why Winfield showing up is special because he wasn't uh, part of that sort of stuff. Uh, generally, but, uh, but yeah, no, I thought it was a nice ceremony. I thought it was a, uh, and I think that you're right that, you know, 15, 16 having happened means that we're not leaning on that as much. And, you know, one day we'll, uh, we'll get an anniversary of that team too, I'm sure, which would be kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, it's weird to do it. Like, I don't know the 2015 anniversary, whatever that looks like is here's, we're going to celebrate a team that was really, really good. Trust us. You know, the results may not say that they were that good in the sense they didn't win a ton of games and they also didn't actually make the world series, but trust us, this was the best team and it was super good. Like it is going to be a weird thing to explain to future generations. Like, you know, in 2015, the Blue Jays really had the best team in baseball. Like, there's nothing you can go and look at. I mean, you can look at run differential. Like, you can dive into some of the offensive numbers and stuff if you're that way inclined. But if you're explaining this to, like, an 8-year-old in the future, like, yeah, 25 years ago, man, did the Blue Jays ever have a good team that didn't actually really win anything except for a division title with a low number of wins. Like, it, it is going to be an odd thing. <laughs> it is, Absolutely. I do want to get past uh, the nostalgia a little bit, past the grimness, uh, zoom out for a second. One kind of happening uh, that we saw from the series is the return of George Springer to center field. Well, firstly, he's just been on fire since he returned from the IL, which is not what I would have anticipated at all. Uh, I was kind of thinking you'd see this shadow of himself that we saw at the end of 2021, but he's been incredible at the plate, and we saw that last home run at the end. Truly a weird challenge, in my view. Like, I get that technically, mathematically speaking, there is an opportunity for a team to come back in that scenario. But really, there, I don't know. The, the chance of that is so low. And also, on even one look at the replay, it was pretty clear as a home run. Yeah. Neither here nor there. How do you feel about the idea of Springer back in center field? Because... You know, we saw today he almost had that catch that would have been really nice. He didn't quite. I don't think that he's sort of impeded right now. Uh, you know, he's clearly moving well, but there is that fear level. Like the Blue Jays clearly need Springer in the lineup. Like they absolutely do. And is there part of you that thinks just park him at DH for the rest of the season? Um, or is what he does in center field valuable enough slash the lack of alternatives grim enough that? you feel like you got to force the issue here and sort of live with the consequences. Yeah. I don't know if it's a, a force thing. I think that, like, I think you're right that he's, you know, obviously he's been incredible since coming off the DL and I think it's or the IL and it's been weird in the sense that like he took, you know, what, he took the first two, two games after the all-star break and took a game before the all-star break off. Like he had a, a pretty sizable break there at, at that point And it did, it didn't really seem to fix him. And so the fact that he's come back and, and this, this round of treatment, uh, I mean, maybe it's the, it's, he, I don't know if he got the, the cortisone injection the first time and, and, or then and, or didn't get it then and did this time. I think that's maybe the case. So maybe that's part of it. Uh, but yeah, obviously they, they really, really need him. Having him in center is, uh, it, it is tricky, but I think you do want to get Alejandro Kirk's bat in the lineup a little more often, the, like as often as you can, even though he's obviously cooled off a little bit. Um, 
and I think that's probably why they're doing. I mean, we like you know talking about 2015, like Jose Bautista. Uh, it was like two years where he he'd like after after that play where he uh, against the Orioles where he tried to throw somebody out first base mm-hmm. just in anger and his arm just wasn't the same for two years and he just kind of couldn't uncork him. Like I mean, you can play out there and just have to have the awareness to not damage your arm on a throw uh, and and maybe just hold up a little bit and I that makes him a lesser defender, but it also. Uh, on balance, I think still makes it worth having him out there, and as opposed to Rymel Tapia or Jackie Bradley Jr. or Whit Merrifield. Um, so I, I'm not super afraid of it. I mean, obviously, you know, you hold your breath every time he lays out for a dive, especially on that carpet. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, you can only you can only put the kid gloves on so much. I think, like I, I you know, obviously you want him healthy, but I think that. I don't know. He can if he could do it, then let him do it. I, I, part, I'm partly probably there's a thing he wants to do as well. Yeah, I mean his part in it. Uh, I'm sure that he wants to do it. He is valuable there. You know, he's clearly sort of a solid defender in center, if not a Gold Glove type defender. The alternatives I think make a big difference here. Like if you had, especially with the way Danny Jansen's bat has cooled in the last little bit, so you feel more like Kirk is the you know, maybe not the everyday catcher in the same way. They have been a little bit cautious with his workload. But if you feel like he's consistently being the catcher, like he's done, he's caught in sort of four of the last six games. Like if he's doing that, for instance, um, I don't know. I, it's tricky because Merrifield just hasn't really given you much, you know, no. since he came over. And if he were giving you, I don't know, like if he was giving you Santiago Espinal type offense, like, the, you know, the near league average offense with a dose of a lot of balls in place such that you can maybe hit and run with him a little bit. And, you know, he adds offensive value when he gets on base because of his ability to steal. And you could put him ninth in the lineup and, you know, call him a shitty second leadoff man like they like to do with Biggio. Um <laughs> That could make some sense, but because you know no one who else who plays center is giving them anything consistently, you know Jackie Bradley Jr. We haven't really seen a ton of him to be fair, but we know you just can't expect anything from his bat. Uh, Tapia has cooled off a little bit. I think everyone is pretty uncomfortable with him being in center for any amount of time. So I, as much as I agree that like he says he's able to do it, they feel like he's able to do it. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the other alternatives don't make a ton of sense. And you do worry, you know, whenever this is a huge part of the George Springer experience that I don't think people anticipated coming in. I know that there was awareness that his durability had been an issue at times, but yeah, every time he makes that diving play uh, and he's not going to stop doing that realistically, like he's just probably not the way he's wired. You think about it every time he runs into a wall. You think about it every time he grimaces after a throw, which is something that you know human beings might do after a big effort of any kind. You think about it, and I'm wondering. I mean, this season, I feel like that's not going to change. Like, no matter what happens, we're always going to have that thing in the back of our head whenever he does sort of a high effort play, for lack of a better term. I wonder how long that goes into the future because if he has a healthy 2023, for instance. You could say, oh, I'm no, no longer thinking about it. But like next thing you know, you look up and he's 34, 35. And it, it feels like we're on the way to a pretty stressful Blue Jays tenure for Springer, as good as he is. No, I, I think that's absolutely true. I and mean, that was really, you know, that's the one thing that you worried about at the time of the contract. And, and 
you know, it, it never has seemed to be, it didn't seem like it's anything chronic. It didn't seem like it was anything like specific that you have to worry about with him. But, uh, but yeah, he just, he gets banged up. And part of it is how he plays. Uh, uh, part of it is just, I don't know, like how he's built. And uh, it's just the stresses and people's bodies handle these stresses differently. And, and it seems like it does become a thing with him. Uh, and I think it will be stressful, but it's also, you know, I said this with Teoscar too. I mean, you just take the good with the bad. There's just so much good when he's there and he's healthy. Uh, I, I think, you know, ultimately, if they ever find a proper center fielder uh, to displace him, that will be a thing. You know, we kind of thought maybe Austin Martin down the line would be would be that guy, perhaps, like before he got dealt. Uh, I don't know if there's a guy coming in the system. Uh, I, I don't think that, uh, uh, I mean, like non-tender candidates, uh, Merrifield and Tapia are probably not the answer there. Uh, and I mean, and Jackie Bradley Jr. as well, though, I think he wouldn't, you know, non-tender him because I think he's just on a one-year deal. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's going to be a thing. It's going to be a thing. Uh, I, I don't know if there's any way around it except, yeah. And also I would say, you know, yeah, you've got to minimize it a bit, but I think, you know, he does still provide value out there. Like you say, much better than having Tapia out there for, uh, in, in particular defensively. Um, and it doesn't have to be every day. Like they, you know, we've seen them switch lineups around, like, uh, but I think that, yeah, in order to get, in order to keep Kirk's bat in the lineup, it's as, as like not impressive as it's been. Like it hasn't been as great, obviously in the second half as it was in the first, still a guy who like walks more than he strikes out, puts the ball in play. And that's like a lot of good things happen. He's still, you know, he's still hitting higher in the lineup than, than Bo Bichette. So, uh, uh, there's a reason for that. <laughs> not the least of which is Bo, but, uh, but yeah, I, I I think that I think that Springer being able to play center is is fine, and I'm I'm comfortable with it. I don't know if I want to see him there, you know, six days out of seven. Yeah, and I when I think about the long term, you know, prognosis for this outfield, like it it has been quite stable in recent years. Like you just plant Teoscar and right and Lourdes and left, and I think the era of that could be coming to an end fairly soon i think there's a people tend to overestimate what lourdes does and he had this incredible run sort of through june and july you know right now since the big uh in august he's hitting 235 278 306 you know we know what he does defensively in a non-premium position now this year he's just not hitting for any power at all there is some trade-off there's a little bit fewer strikeouts and there's a little bit more walks but you know, him hitting third right now is weirding me out uh to be honest because it's not like <laughs> yeah. he's not hot and his sort of true talent is not justifying that spot either so it's like normally someone goes there if they're really rolling or if you just think they're one of your best hitters he's not filling either of those buckets and yeah he's a guy you know he's on the way to another sub two win season he's never actually cracked that mark before which is kind of surprising considering how well he's hit at times Obviously, defense has been a problem. Is he someone that we're starting to think about as like a guy that gets replaced in 2023? And then that can be a spot that Springer rolls into, whether he goes to right and Teoscar goes to left or however you want to work that. Like, I think the perception has always been that Lourdes is not necessarily part of the core, but a part of the team and a part of the solution. And I'm feeling, you know, I've been maybe more of a skeptic of him than some others, but I've been feeling less and less like that's the case. Yeah, I think that's going to be a big question this offseason. I mean, I, I think that this season sort of speaks for itself in terms of, like, uh, like if you're Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or Bo Bichette and, and the, the front office is like, hey, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna change the culture a little bit. We're going we're gonna to mix things up. You know, some guys you really like might not be here anymore. 
uh, because we're, we don't think this will, uh, this will happen. I think you'll, they'll be receptive to that. I think they should be receptive to that, even though, you know, obviously they believe in themselves and their teammates and all that stuff. Uh, I think that, you know, that, that would make some sense. There's, there are tough decisions to be made. The difficulty with this in particular, with both Teo and with Guriel, is that they're both in going into the last year of their contract. 2023 will be the last year for both of them under their current deals. So, you know, what are you trading for? Who are you trading them to, or one of them to, or both of them even? You know, and what, like, what is, what is the, what's the move there? Like, you, it's, you're not about, it's not about getting futures at this point. You'd have to kind of take somebody's version of them back, you know, who may play a different position, maybe a pitcher, uh, but somebody who's only going to be here for a year. And, and maybe that's, maybe that's worth it, but maybe also they, they let it play out for another year and, you know, let, Addison Barger come up or, or and, and steal a job from someone or or you know find find somehow some uh, some Bradley esque solutions uh, for the bench. I I, I don't know. Uh, I think you're right. You know, Guriel, it, it looks great. It looked great when it's working, but yeah, the the, the disappearing power from his game is a concern, and uh, I'm not sure he's the better for it. I think uh, Bobuchet also was. Uh, uh, a guy who could use showing a little more power, uh, I think, than he's shown this year, uh, and you kind of wonder what that's all about. You know, that makes me think about how the you know their emphasis on swing decisions, and I know that that's been a thing with Guriel. I know they've talked about it, you know, organizationally, uh, you know, throughout the minors, and and you know, you see, you know, we've talked about. It. I mean, I think that Gabriel Moreno is uh, uh, the the thumb injuries maybe more important there to his lack of power. He still strikes the ball really hard, but like Jordan Groshans before he was traded. Uh, you know, was a guy who just wasn't hitting for power, and uh, and there does seem to be this organizational like shift or or uh, impetus to like to really you know, focus on swing decisions, letting the ball get deep, going the other way with it, which does take away power, which does sort of you know not necessarily lead to better outcomes. And I I don't know that like we've seen enough to say that that's something you know that should change or that that's even the, the root of it. But you know. Um, yeah, it's easy to say it's not working when you see a series like this. And there, you know, if we'd have asked, if we'd have been talking about this uh, after the last series, we'd been like, oh, yeah, things are pretty good. So, uh, uh, grain of salt for all of this stuff. But, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's a non-answer. I, I don't know what they what they could or should or will do with, uh, with their outfield. But that's definitely a move that could be made. And I think that, you know, uh, they would be more receptive to it like the rest of the team after a year like this depending on how the next six weeks go, uh, then they probably would have uh, coming into this year. Yeah, I mean, it is sort of a shake-up move because it's like he's sort of fine there as maybe your seventh or eighth best position player, um, but he's also not your place. Well, like you said, the difficulty with those players is what do you trade them for? You can all, The answer can always be kind of a live arm reliever. I, I don't think people would be excited by Guriel for a reliever, but I think you know you could make a pretty good argument for that, depending on what else you do in your offseason. Uh, you, know, you could get potentially a left-handed bat by uh, having him out of there. I don't know if I'm willing to go so far as to say I'd be surprised if he's with the team next year, but it seems like an avenue that makes a lot of sense would be to change up that spot. The Teo thing, um, I, you know, he's so much more valuable, clearly. Like he, that power is, is, is much better. The, 
defense, although there's been some weird defense from him recently. I think the defense can be better. The base, I mean, Guriel's base running is truly atrocious, and that that's reflected in the stats too. That's not just an anecdotal thing. Like he costs them runs on the bases. Um, he runs like someone who thinks he's fast. I think it's because he's always been athletic, <laughs> but he's never nice. actually been fast. Um, there's a difference between those two things. Tail is like, we've talked about him as an extension guy, right? And I, I was yeah. thinking about the Jays extension situation recently because the Julio Rodriguez extension came down. Uh, and that was, you know, that's a massive one. I think that's something that Blue Jays fans have sort of been clamoring for the team to do with Vladdy or Bo kind of from the beginning once they arrived and looked pretty good, especially in Bo's case. Uh, and then Vladdy last year breaking out. It's that, you know, the ship has sailed on that, right? Like the guys are heading into arbitration. You're not going to get that, oh, here's an unbelievably long contract and we're able to do it because we're paying you money in those years where you're making literally no money. Uh, you know, Vladdy and Bo in particular are going to be making money, but it, and, you know, Kirk, maybe you could do something like that, but like, is Kirk the guy where you're like, oh, this is the guy I really want to invest in over the long term? Like, he seems like someone you probably go through the process with and see how far it takes you. But, you know, we've talked about extensions for a while with this team, and the only one to happen is the Brios one. But Teoscar is a big one to think about. And then is, you know, is this going to be finally the offseason that uh, Bo or Vladi gets the big deal? And if it's Bo, uh, you know, I guess that's a buy low, but I have a hard time believing he wants to go in at that market. And then you're kind of narrowing it down to Vladi is the guy. But you know, Teoscar and Chapman are both right there as well. Like what, if you had to bank on what extension you see the Blue Jays doing next, which one, and then which one do you think is the best investment potentially? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, Chapman is a great, is a great one. Um, yeah, this is, I didn't see a ton of him this series, but, uh, obviously he had a ton to do with, uh, why they were successful in New York and Boston, Boston in particular, uh, really, uh, and also, they've sort of cleared out some of those guys coming in behind. I mean, Norelvis Martinez uh, is still a prospect of note and is still, you know, a top 100 guy. And I think is, you know, the swing decision stuff happened with him. And he's, you know, the the numbers may not be reflecting it yet, but I think they they feel good about where that's going. And obviously, the power is really there. But we're still talking down the line. And, and yeah, Chapman may maybe uh, Orte Oscar maybe the the, the 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 right answer there. I don't. Uh, you know, I think you're right that the ship has sailed, obviously, to do a Rodriguez-style um, extension with Vlad or Bo. I don't think people would be very happy if Bo got extended this uh, anytime soon, based on the tenor of, uh, of all the tweets I see every time he does something not great. or Which is, I mean, I, I didn't look at it today, but I mean, he's getting on base. I think it was 118 weighted runs created plus since May 1st. Like, he had that really rough start to the season that is still dragging his numbers down. And he's kind of been fine. You know, despite despite what people uh, seem to think, I think he's kind of been fine for like four months. Um, I don't really have. I would be fine with them doing like doing an extension with him. I I don't know that uh, uh, <laughs> that I would be in the majority on that at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's part like it's partly, of course, like we've talked all along, is that you know they're, they're, those guys those guys are, their families are doing fine. Um, and the, there's no real impetus for Vlad to to take what's not you know the best possible offer in the same way that there probably that there is for for you know Ozzy Albies or Rodriguez or a lot of these other guys uh, that we've seen get these deals. So I mean, I mean, Fernando Tatis Senior did pretty good. I don't know. I mean, you know, who knows? Who knows what the family's 
structure is and how the, that works and, and what, what what's what. That's that's different, you know, case by case. Um, but yeah, I don't I, I don't know that Vlad will happen. I think the Barrios, you know, extending Barrios with a year to go to free agency bodes well and says that they can sort of wait later into the process and still get the guy signed. That they'll still be willing to you know pay market rate or pay enough to to make it happen. Like I don't think we have to worry that oh he's going to walk just because it hasn't been done yet. Uh, it may end up working out better for them. Uh, I think, you know, if, if Bo was in the middle of a 14-year contract right now, I think that that, uh, that people would maybe not be uh, so thrilled about it. Um, but, yeah, uh, I, I forget what the second part of your question is, but, I, but like, Chapman seems real, like a reasonable one to me. Um, Teoscar, I think, I, I, I personally, I would like that, even though, obviously, we were talking about the effort level and all that stuff. I would, I take the good with the bad every day. Teoscar is fun to watch. And, you know, Silver Slugger, like you say, not the same boat as, as Guriel. He's really uh, established himself in a much more significant way as a hitter. I think Alec Manoa has to be in that conversation as well, though. I mean, I might want to see where his velocity is the next couple starts after, uh, after <laughs> took a bit of a hit. Uh, on Saturday, but also he pitched really well, you know, despite not having his best stuff, which I feel is uh, is something we've said about half his starts this year. Yeah, I've learned to be a little bit less uh, living and dying with his velocity because it can fluctuate a little bit more than some other pitchers. I'm not exactly sure why that is. I, I think, yeah, I think Chapman is the guy, like it, because the defense, and I know the metrics haven't loved him this year, but it, it seemed like kind of fixable stuff, not a lack of athleticism, not kind of him getting old or anything. And he's been fantastic on that end recently. He just has such a floor with that. Like when he yeah. hit, when he plays defense at the level he's capable of doing, and he gets on base via walks and he hits home runs. Like, again, I think he actually has a half decent offensive floor as well, even with all the strikeouts, just because he's got the big time power. We know that power plays at Roger Center. Like, that's where he's done a lot of his damage. And he's got the ability to draw walks as well. Like, you know, you don't get stretches from him can be ugly sometimes when it's just so many strikeouts, but you don't get as many as like the really bad. I don't know, Guriel or even Bichette ones where the guys are way more reliant on balls and play and then just nothing is dropping and it gets incredibly ugly for a period of time. Like Chapman can probably be uglier aesthetically, but in terms of the actual production, I think it's actually been a bit more consistent. He's Yeah, he's the guy I'm probably looking to target. Like I love guys with defensive value over time. Vladdy is a nice idea. Again, would it has you know it hasn't happened yet? What's us to believe that's going to happen at this point? Like it's probably smart for him to go to free agency. Uh, Bichette could maybe make an argument like this is a time to try and lock in. But again, you know he's a pretty confident person. We know that about him. Does he want to say this is a time for security? Or does he want to say I'm going to show everyone that I'm still an elite All Star level guy, five win guy? Although I doubt he conceives of it in that way. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I think he's the one, you know, Teoscar is interesting because the defensive part of it, he can be adequate. You know, that's there's an endorsement. He yeah. can be he can be adequate. But he's also, you know, he's approaching his thirtieth birthday too. And the moment his athleticism goes a little bit, you do worry about his defense because you know, the route to the ball and the mental side of that defense isn't always great. And the thing that is good is that he can run really well. And the moment he can't run really well, is he suddenly going to learn all of the the little things that he's had so much trouble with for most of his career? 
that makes me nervous. Yeah, especially him having a little swing and miss in his game. Like if he loses a little bat, like he's the type of guy that I worry about how he ages a little bit. Whereas Chapman is the type of guy that I feel a little bit more confident about. But you know, Teoscar is fun to watch. I think he's been underrated his contribute contrib- contribution rather uh, to this team over the last sort of three years or so. Um, you know, whenever it's like, oh, you could always go down. The, it's not my money, and these are good players, so sign them out. But Chapman is the one that stands out. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I mean, I I suspect you know the like he's kind of the the it seems like the gym rat type and the you know the what, the, the hustle and heart award they they give out for something and the, the uh, it just seems like seems like a guy that the books Ross Atkins reads probably says like oh this is this is the kind of guy you want you know, leading your culture in terms of, you know, just grinding work ethic kind of, kind of stuff. I, I, that wouldn't shock me. And also, I mean, like, you know, he's had injury problems. Yes. But like literally last year, you know, gold glove defense, you know, whatever the outs above average was by stat stat cast, if he had that, uh, if, if the defensive metrics liked him this year, if he had performed to that level this year, uh, that he did last year, He's like a six-win guy. Like, like, like he was a four-win player with a like a league average bat last year. So, yeah, I, I think you're right about the floor there. And I think Teoscar, uh, you know, I entertained it a bit, but you know, thinking about Teoscar and Springer, uh, that could be that that could pose difficulty, right? I mean, you can't they can't both play right field. They can't both be DH. Uh, and you know, as Springer ages, the DH option is going to have to be more in play, and certainly corner outfield option. Uh, and that limits the, you know, I don't know that, I don't know that Teo in right and Springer in left, and the, the, you're, you're asking a lot of your center fielder at that point. I'm not sure that's the route they're going to take. Yeah, maybe if they were developing an ace defensive center fielder and they figured that that's something they could do. But yeah, a couple guys in their 30s. Uh, in those corners with Teoscar's, you know, issues just in terms of performance and Springer's in terms of age, that could get tricky in sort of, I don't know, 2025 or something if you get a pretty big contract going. Um, but that is a, a speculation for another day, I believe. We are going to end it off here. We will see you. The schedule has not been firmly locked in, but we're going to see you, it looks like, on Tuesday morning and we can then discuss the the roster expansions the return of marcus stroman uh, and much much more potentially an even worse vibe if monday doesn't go well or maybe a little (laughs) bit of a bounce back yeah thanks a lot everybody we will talk to you on tuesday